0: Good morning. (laughs) Um, I have to apologize. Thank you, brother, I appreciate that. Um, I I have to apologize. This is uh, something that just kind of hit me, so this is a Holy Spirit moment. Um, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Damian Thompson. I am the online campus and outreach pastor here. And normally, on a Sunday morning, I am somewhere stowed away. Usually it's been over in the prayer room there. And I'm engaged with our, our online family. And, uh, and I'm usually just with them. And, um, and I have to be in a space that's away from in here because everything's happening all at the same time. And we're not totally synced together. And so we're off a little bit. And I get messed up if I try to be in here And try to be with them. So I need to be with them. And so this is the first time I've had an opportunity to be in here with you and worship at the same time. And uh, if you hear me sniffing a little bit, it's because it just, to hear you guys sing. Ooh, man. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that. All right. So um, what a blessing it is to be uh, with you guys. Um, It's been a little while since I've been up here, and so um, I'm going to be stretching some muscles that haven't been worked for a little bit. Um, For the last six weeks, we have been walking through this Not Alone series, and um, we've been blessed by some very rich teaching that has occurred over the last... Uh, six weeks. So with week seven here, we're going to be wrapping everything up. And um, I'm blessed to get to do that. And I want to thank Pastor Scott for trusting me with this space. Uh, no pressure that he's sitting right here as I'm doing this. So uh, so brother, I hope I make you proud today. Um, also, just boy, how surreal it is to have Pastor Ken, uh, big daddy back there in the back here on this day. This is good gracious. And just so you know, I've called him big everything. I've Big cheese, big daddy, big dog, big toe, it's all been big. But today we are going to um, wrap up this series um, kind of bringing everything full circle, I believe. Because as Sister Brittany had just shared, uh, we, we looked at what the key verse was. And the key verse was in Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 where it states emphatically that his divine power, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things, not most things, all things. And so as we've been journeying to this, now we've come to a place where now we get to look at just exactly where and exactly how do we get to practice not being alone. We we actually get to do this, and it's called the church. Because church... When we are being as we were originally designed and made and intended to be, who we are and what we can do is nothing short of amazing. Um, If if you'd like to have a Bible, we're going to ask our ushers to come, and they're going to start walking forward. Raise your hands if you'd like one. I want to invite you guys to go ahead and get your Bible apps out. We're going to go through some scripture this morning, and I want to go ahead and just give you a fair warning. As you look at the notes, you're going to see that there's a lot of scripture that's listed there. We're not going to go through all of them because I'd like to get you home by sundown, okay? So we're going to go through some of them, but if you would just like to be in the space and just be present as we talk and share and journey this morning, you go ahead and do that, and I'll be reading those scriptures for you, okay? I do want to say good morning to my online family. It is good to see you guys. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you all, get your Bible apps out, okay? Let's go through this together, but if you want to be in that space, same thing. Let's just sit and let's just do this together this morning. You know, one of the most interesting things about humankind is that we have this ability, this innate ability to take a thing that was designed to do something and turn it into something very, very different. Now, we use the word ingenuity to usually describe when we do that. So like, for instance, uh, a piece of paper. We all know what paper is. We all know what paper is supposed to do. But boy, it is amazing. You take this thing and fold it up six, seven, eight times, wedge it underneath the leg of a table, and all of a sudden, it just became a table stabilizer right there. But that's not what paper was intended to do. I think about a straw. Now, I, 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 you know, I know what a straw was meant, to what it was purposed to do. It's supposed to get liquid out of a container, through it, into my mouth, so that I can get some refreshment. But you take the end of that straw and you flatten it out, and all of a sudden, it just became a dental hygiene tool. <laughs> so I'm not alone in that. All right, okay. But that's not what a straw was intended to do. You know, we could spend some time this morning just talking about how is it that the church is functioning today where it's, it's, not, doing, it's not doing what it's designed to do, what it was intended do to do. But today, this morning, I want to spend some time focusing on some specific things that I believe that we can start doing today to start becoming the church as originally designed. So we're going to go and we're going to start looking at the original blueprints we're going to look at the original specs. We're going to look at the original design. And I want you to understand that as we're talking our way through this, there's going to be some tension here. There's going to be some tension, things that we look at, where we're going to be in the place where these are things that we could give, and these are also going to be things that we could receive. We're going to be talking about what it means as an individual and then also to be a part of a collective. So there's going to be this interesting tension. And you might ask yourself, would, you know, when we get to that, Damien, exactly Who are you talking to right there? And what exactly are you talking about? And, And the answer is going to be yes, both. Because that is part of the beautiful mystery of the church, is the very things that we get to give are the very things that we get to receive and be blessed by. So church, our first thing, if you go looking at your notes there, the first thing that I want to look at is the church when unified is resourceful. The church, when unified, is resourceful. And you might be wondered unified how? Can you give me some specifics, Damien? You see there in your notes, the three areas are going to be this. When we're unified in being generous, when we're unified in being undivided, and when we're unified in our gathering. So let's take, that, take a look at that first one there. When we're unified in being generous, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul, in this letter to the church in Philippi, he says something very specific. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I want to focus on that word, look. In the Greek, that word is translated, "skapeo," And "skapeo," translated into English for us, means this. It means to look at to inspect, to consider. And I like this last one, examine. Now, examine means something for me because I'm at an age now where when I go to see my doctor, it's not just a routine physical, you know, because I know, no, not everything is functioning right. I'm just a little too old for that. But, but here's the deal. When I walk in there, I, I know what to expect. I know what's going to go down. He's going to make me get out of my clothes and get into a garment that is drafty. Is that, is that fair to, to use that? Okay. He's going to make me sit on that examination table, and he's going to come in. He's going to have a cold stethoscope, and he's got questions he's got to ask. Okay, what's going on here? How are you feeling there? How does this feel when I do this? Turn look this way. Cough that way. Do this. There's the things that he does. And he's not too concerned about my mental or my emotional makeup at that moment. He's not handing me tissues and he's not giving me a hug because he's there to examine me. He wants to find out what's going on with my physical being because that's his job. What would happen if as a church we began to examine examine each other's interests, because that's what Paul said. He said, look not to just, you know, don't just examine your own interests, but examine the interests of others. Could you just imagine the tremendous opportunities we would have to be generous with that awareness? There's an amazing story that's in Acts chapter 4. I'm not going not gonna to go through it, but I just I encourage you, uh, verses 34 and 35, you can just get to see what the church was doing there in its, in its infancy. Read that when you get an opportunity. But I'm going to skip ahead to another story in the book of Acts, and it's in chapter 11. And let me just go ahead and just share the, the backdrop here. Uh, we're looking at the church in Antioch, and the church in Antioch is in disarray. Why? Because it's under persecution. And as a matter of fact, the first execution in the name of Jesus has occurred. Stephen has been stoned. And now the believers, the church, they're scattering. They're scattering because they're scared and they want to stay alive. And so it was around about this time that prophets from Jerusalem came down to Antioch. And beginning in verse 27 in chapter 11, I'm going to read this with you. It says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Notice that the disciples did not say, we're going to go ahead and handpick those who were going to give. They didn't say, we're going to hold a lottery, and for those of you who are selected, you're going to be the ones who give. No, they said everyone, according to their ability, was going to give. And something tells me, I don't have anything in Scripture to affirm this, so this is just my heart speaking here. Something tells me that the believers in Judea were blessed by what they received. And you know, as I read that, I find myself reflecting back to two years ago. Something that happened at a place I believe the address is 5723rd 23rd Drive West in Everett, Washington. If you're not familiar with that address, that's here. This place called North Shore Christian Church. We found out about an opportunity to bless. There was a community that was about to be created. Um, there was a facility that was being built. It was called Claire's Place. And we found out that we were going to be, that our that our city was going to be gathering up the 65 most vulnerable people on the street who did not have places to live and give them not a shelter, okay, not temporary housing, but permanent housing. And while the building was being built, the organizers of this recognized, okay, we're building housing, but this isn't feeling like a home. Who knows how to help that happen? And they turned to the faith communities. And they turned to different churches, and I can tell you, North Shore, uh, the Holy Spirit gave us a vehicle called $5 Sunday, and the whole goal was real simple. Everybody give $5, and let's just see what the Lord does with it. Well, the Lord was the Lord, and we were able to give over $36,000. And through that, we were able to furnish over 70% of the units at Claire's Place so that when those folks walked into their apartment for the first time, they didn't walk into a bare place. They walked into something that felt like a home, and there was blessing. That is what the church, when generous, can do some amazing things. And church, as you hear this and you're wondering, how can I get involved in something like that? Hey, can I just go ahead and just share this with you? If you missed it, Pastor Scott showed it earlier. We're going to be doing this thing this summer called Check It Out Days. And we're going to be looking at two of the ministries uh, that we work with. One is Pregnancy Resource Center. The other one is the Lord's Little Cooker. And if you want to find out uh, how you can be generous in those spaces with your time, with your energy, perhaps with your funding, sign up for these. It gives you an opportunity to go and just take a tour and learn what's happening in those ministries and how you could possibly partner with them, okay? Okay? You'll find information about this on our website or just pull up the app. The information is going to be right there, church. We can still do this. We can still bring the goods. Another way, church, that that our unification makes us resourceful is when we are undivided. Now, you probably hear that and you go, well, no, duh. But in today's time, being undivided is not a given. It's just not. So Paul as he was writing to the church in Philippi. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, and here it is, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I think about Jesus in his final moments before he is to go to the cross. And in John chapter 17, he is praying a prayer that all of us should be familiar with because of the blessing to understand his heart and his heart for his ministry for even coming here. And Jesus to the Father says this, Lord, Lord, please help them be one as you and I have been one. In other words, he's saying, Lord, help them be what they've seen you and I be. And that is one. And then the last area where our being unified is so resourceful is when we gather. It's when we do this right here. We're doing it right now. Because when we gather, there's something different about who we are. There's something powerful about we. And I love it. I got to hear it just a few minutes, moments ago when I heard you raise your voices. Ooh, Okay, I'm not going to do that again. I just got my sniffles down. All right. But in Acts chapter 2, when the church is just launching off, what do they do? What's the first thing they do? They fellowship. They break bread. They pray together. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. They give to each other and take care of each other right off the bat. And that was just the start. But you know, there's there's an interesting verse. And I've heard this verse for years. And I want us to take a look at this. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay? This is an interesting verse. The, the, The writer in Hebrews, a lot of people think it's Paul. There's some discussion about that. We're not going down that rabbit trail today. But in Hebrews chapter 10, there's an admonition that we receive. And the writer says this. Beginning in verse 23, he writes, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here it is in verse 25. He writes, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, church, that word, neglecting, that word feels like it has some, some squishiness to it. Neglecting means, well, you, you're not quite that bad. And you, you're, you're hearing me talk about this today. Well, well Damien, you know, well, hold on. Let's look at what the Greek of that word neglecting is. And it's the word, I'm going to make sure I say this right, enkatalepo. And that word translated for us means to forsake, to abandon. And to desert, and you hear that, and you say, "Those that—that's a little strong, right there." Just because I missed the last two weeks, I haven't forsaken, I haven't abandoned, I haven't deserted. I just wasn't able to make it. Well, how about we get a little better context on this this morning? Just a few more chapters later, in chapter thirteen, verse five. You don't have to turn to it because you already know the part of the verse I'm getting ready to uh, to emphasize. Now, I'm going to start it and I'm going to let you finish it. And that shows you just how, fin- how, how familiar you are with it. In Hebrews 13, 5, he writes, I will never leave you nor. Save you. What was that church? Nor. Save you. The word translated there is, I will never leave you nor en you. Now, I know that I have said and thanked God through those those very words of Scripture, Lord, thank you for never leaving me or ever forsaking me because those words reach deep into my spirit, into my soul. So why would the writer in Hebrews use the very same reference of something that I think as a promise to us has meant so much to us, but in the same words, When it comes to meeting together, he says, no, don't in katalepo when we meet together, okay? Don't forsake, don't abandon, don't desert. Come together, be together. Because when we are unified in that way, we are so, so resourceful. And if nothing else, it is a place where we know we are not alone. Amen? So church, the next thing I want to take a look at is this. The church when obedient is formidable. The church when obedient is formidable. Now, we're going to step into some words and some concepts here that I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. There's not a lot of sexy in obedience. There just isn't. And yet Jesus, when he came, he sought two things. He sought those who would believe in him, And those who would obey him. And he was very consistent in that. So church, you might be asking, obedient how, Damien? Let's go ahead and break this down. All right, we're going to look at two areas. The first one is, when the church repents. Again, that's another one of those words that can kind of make us squirm a little bit. Repent. Wow. Okay. Well, what exactly do you mean? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to go ahead and give you the cliff notes. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the disciples. The disciples are now out amongst the people. It is the day of Pentecost. And the disciples are speaking. And the people who are coming from all over the world, who are present here for this celebration, are hearing them speak in their own native tongue. And then Peter stands up and delivers the sermon of all sermons. It didn't get any better before that. It is not getting any better after that. And he basically says to them, you, you people who saw the Messiah, the, the one who was promised, the one who the prophets had said would come and fulfill everything that was promised to us, who came here and he healed and he fed and he raised people from the dead. He saying, you took the son of God and you killed him. You murdered him. You did it. It's like Peter took the knife, stuck it in, and then shoved it the rest of the way. Because scripture actually says they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what do we do? And Peter's very first word to them was repent. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent in the Greek is the word metanoia. And if you want to know what repent means, let's just go ahead and clear this up. If this is the direction you're headed, okay, and you are walking towards things that are not of God, things that are not of Jesus, when you have a metanoia moment and you repent, you make a 180-degree turn, turn your back to those things, and you begin to walk back towards your Jesus, back towards your God who loves you. And here's the thing that's so interesting about repentance. The enemy wants you to make, make you think that you do it all by yourself, all on your own, over in a corner by yourself. You won't find anything in Scripture to support that. Repentance in its purest power is when we do it together. Because when you repent and you have a church that is there with you, now you have People who are going to walk with you. People who are going to love you. People who are going to encourage you, pray with you, pray for you, be there for you. That is where the power of repentance begins to happen for us as the church. And then the next one. Ooh, gets a little tougher. And that is when we are obedient by submitting. When we submit I know that even as I say that word, I don't have a lot of good feeling. There's not a lot of joy that I'm processing. I'm just being honest with you, church, when I'm called to submit. But Scripture is very clear that we are called to submit in three ways. Number one, we're called to submit to Jesus. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul writing to the church of Rome says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear the fruit for God. Church, if we no longer belong to ourselves, if through Christ's death we are no longer under the law, and that law is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, and He has done so that we would belong to Him, then that means we're now called to submit to the one we belong to. It almost kind of makes sense. And I'm thankful for it. The second thing that we're called to submit to is to worldly authority. Ooh, here we go. So here's what I'm going to do I'm not going to ad lib. 2 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses uh, 13 through 15. Here's what the apostle Peter wrote. This isn't somebody's commentary. This wasn't Scott's idea. This is what the Word of God says. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I'll be honest with you right there. That's enough right there to start some fights today. That's enough right there for people to roll up their sleeves and say, you want some of this? Let's do this right here. Oh, but we're not done. He continued to write, for this is the will of God. That by doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We're not going to get into the conversation about foolish people because there's a lot of foolishness today. But for those of us who claim Jesus as Lord and have surrendered our lives to him, what have we been commanded to do? And it is simple. To submit to those who are in authority above us. Because it is the will of God. Done. Here's the third one, though. And I think the third one is actually the toughest one. We are called to submit to each other. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, this is what Paul writes. Let me give you the quick setting here in this letter to the church in Ephesus. He's calling them to write, to walk in love. But he doesn't just say, walk in love, go and be well. He gives them examples. Paul is just an amazing shepherd. He gives them examples. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to not do. And starting in verse 18, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you could probably stop right there and say, Amen, Lord. But there's a comma and one more verse. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? It's pretty simple. If Jesus is Lord and you hold him in reverence, in the position that he deserves in your life, then that means you are going to submit to one another. Ooh. I hope that felt as uncomfortable for, you, for me as it did for you. I, I, for, me, for, for you as it did for me. That is not comfortable. That is not easy. Simple, but not easy. But when the church is obedient in this space, When we choose to repent, when we choose to submit, we put a smile on the face of Jesus, I believe, because he looks down and he sees what is reflective of him, what is reflective of his life, and what he set as an example for you and me. The last area I want to talk about this morning has to do with this. The church in a posture of prayer, is powerful. The church in a posture of prayer is powerful. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and just and, and, and read all of this out. Um, I encourage you, I have some scriptures there for your reference in Acts chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So read those when you have an opportunity. They're just examples of what happens when the church prays. The power of our prayer. And if you think back just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Scott walked us through our conversation. Our conversations with our Father. And what those could look like and what those bold prayers could be. Well, church, for us, I want us to look at what some postures of prayer could be. Now, I specifically engage the posture of prayer and not praying because we always pray. There isn't a time that we gather. There isn't a time when we are the ecclesia, and we don't pray. But there's something about a posture of prayer. Because it says we're getting ready to do something. We're now prepared to do something. I know that if you go to a swimming pool, and somebody who's in full dress clothes, you know, goes out on the diving board, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to say, hey, 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 what, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to jump in the water. Isn't that obvious? Yeah, but you're fully clothed. You got all your clothes on. What are you doing? Well, what, I can't do that? Well, yeah, you can, but I, I don't know. It's probably going to be a little harder once you get in the water. Are you really ready to do this? You need to go put on a swimsuit. You you to go put on some swim trunks. You need to get yourself ready. I know that when I work out, every morning that I go down to do this, I'm at an age right now where I can't just go down there and just push the button and just get to it. I, I, I got I to gotta loosen stuff up. I got, I got bones and tendons and ligaments that, that need help. They need warm-up. They need attention. I, I got to get things because it's like just doing this right here. I, I got hips and knees that are going, hey, 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 easy, easy, easy. And I got to spend about five minutes doing that. I have to get myself ready. I have to get myself in a posture to be ready to do what's to come next. These these postures of prayer, I'm hoping we can practice them this morning. As we wrap this up today, I want to invite you to stand with me. On the screen, you're going to see what these postures are. And we're going to go through these uh, together. I don't know if did it it make it? Do we have those? Yes, we do. Okay, there we go. Good. A dear sister of the faith, her name is Danielle Strickland. She is a powerful voice for the evangelical church today. And she has created a ministry through the Holy Spirit called Infinitum. If you want to visit it, you can go to infinitum.com. And she has, with some others, a core group of people, have created this community. And it's a contemplative community. It's where they want to sit and they want to be with God. First for the purpose of just being in his presence, but then to understand what has he called them to do and then how to do it. But they do it in community. They don't do it alone. And one of the things that they practice are these daily postures of prayer. And she writes, one way of beginning your day is to use the hand postures that are going to be shown on our icons. You can hold your hands in these specific positions and postures to mirror your intention to live these vows out every day. And she invites us to use these prayers if you find them useful. So church, I'm going to invite you into this space with me. The first posture is surrender, and it's with our hands lifted today. And if you want to join with me, I don't know if you can read that or not. I don't know if the font's big enough. We're going to do this prayer together. I choose to hold up my hands as a symbol of surrender. My life is not about me. I surrender to your lordship. I surrender my preferences, prejudices, and position to you. My fears, finances, friends, and family to you. The second position, church, is where we open our hands. And this is a position of generosity with our hands out. I choose to hold out my hands as symbol of generosity. What I have is not mine. I am only a steward of all that you have given me. I want to mirror the way that you open your hand to us and lavished us love in life upon us. I want to live an open-handed life in a closed fist culture. And then the last posture is we turn our hands sideways and extend our hands forward in mission. I choose to hold my hands forward as a symbol of mission. I want to live for something greater than me. I want to embrace your kingdom mission. I want to embrace and welcome your mission to the lost, last, least, and lonely. The poor, powerless, privileged, and persecuted.